Before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray uh, before I jump to this message. So, Lord, we thank you for this next generation. Lord, we thank you for young people and for old people, Lord, that you are bringing us together to signify the unity of your kingdom, Lord God, that we would inspire each other, Lord, that we would love one another, that we would learn from one another, Jesus. We thank you uh, and praise your name. Amen. Amen. So, um, if you've gone to Living Streams long enough, you've probably heard quotes or stories from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, from some of our pastors. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during World War II. And so there was a lot of profound things that came about his resistance to Hitler, the Third Reich, and what it was doing to the church. And specifically in this story I'm going to tell you, there was this idea that Hitler did not just want to take over the state of Germany and then the the other European countries, but he actually wanted to control the hearts and minds um, of people's like religion as well. And so he began to change and alter the Bible and tell pastors what they could and couldn't preach and began to persecute the church for the agenda of the Third Reich. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, basically decided to create this underground seminary to equip pastors with the truth of God's word, mainly focusing on the ethics of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, Bonhoeffer had a very uh, intense approach to his discipleship in this seminary. It was very strict and very deep. And so he had a lot of criticism from other people in the church that it was too harsh, that it was too dogmatic in the way it was approaching um, seminary and discipleship. And so they had sent someone, this guy named Niesel, to go talk to him to see if they could talk him into maybe a more approachable way of discipleship, something that would, I think, ultimately is a little bit more watered down and less concentrated. And what's sad is I think we've actually seen the church today do a similar thing, where we preach the gospel and we preach a truth, but if it offends people or it causes them to feel uncomfortable, maybe we water it down a little bit to, to hopefully convince them or, or like trick them into believing the truth of God's word. We make compromises on it. And so Bonhoeffer decides to take this guy Niesel on a rowboat ride to this hill. And so he puts him on the boat and they row down the river. And on this hill, there are German Luftwaffe aircraft landing and taking off. And there's soldiers forming up in their different formations and marching. And he describes it as like a uh, busy ants all over the hill. And then Bonhoeffer begins to describe what they're training for, what they are discipling their, their armies for, is for a kingdom of cruelty and evil. And basically that if the church is going to survive this, if the church is able to overcome this, it's only if we disciple people at a stronger rate than that that the Third Reich was doing. And so John Tyson, in his book, um, as he's describing this, he, he actually has the chapter titled, This Must Be Stronger Than That. That the word of God, the truth that we see as believers, must be discipled into us stronger than the way the world is discipling us. And this might seem like a far-off past, especially for maybe some of you littles that are in the room and don't know much about World War II, but the same spirit of Antichrist that existed in the German armies during World War II exists today. It didn't go anywhere. The war may be over, but the battle for our souls is still going on. And so that spirit of Antichrist would see you discipled towards selfishness, 
towards evil, towards sin, without your knowledge. And the way they do this is by putting it in your face all the time. And I'm a youth pastor, so I deal with a lot of kids that are, you know, into TikTok and into YouTube and all these different forms of social media, television, you name it. It's just in our faces constantly. And I get really disturbed by this new term that, that you hear of celebrity, these people called influencers. And so an influencer, typically, someone that's got millions and millions of followers, but they have virtually no substance of how, like, why they have them. Maybe it's somebody that's teaching you like this kind of weird dance move thing that you can't, that I don't know how to do. But there's no substance there a lot of the time. And yet they command these massive amounts of influence over our generation. And if that's not bad enough, there was a recent study done from the University of California out of San Francisco regarding screen time when we look at our phones. Their uh, findings were, the more time kids spend using screens from ages 9 to 11 years old, the higher their odds of suicidal behaviors and ideation become two years later from ages 11 to 13. Specifically, each additional hour of screen time increased their risk by over 9%. So while we stare at our phones, we are being spoon-fed poison, and we don't know it. And the average teen spends about 7.4 hours a day on their phone, reading their Bible on their phone. (laughs) Maybe not that much, maybe not that much. But I would say that that statistic is probably not that different for even for us as adults. This isn't something that's like, oh, well, that's the kid's problem. I'm on my phone way too much. I know it. And like, there's all these awesome, you know, ways you can manage your time, and I think those are good. I think it's healthy that we begin to do that. But we have to recognize that if we are not being poured into by God's spirit and being discipled actively by God's kingdom, then we are being discipled by the kingdom of darkness. So how do we strengthen ourselves for this next generation? How do we build up the next generation to where it doesn't have to worry about the evil that is coming? Well, in Deuteronomy 6, if you guys want to have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Deuteronomy 6, we're going to go to verse 1. Moses is explaining this to the children of Israel on the plains of Moab before they are entering into the promised land. So basically, they've come out of Egypt, they've crossed the the desert now, and now they're ready to walk into the promised land that God is giving them. And it's inhabited by other people that they're going to have to take out, and they're going to have to like basically create this new nation of Israel. And so Moses is giving them instruction on how to maintain their families, to be fruitful, how they're going to walk into this new land. So chapter 6, verse 1, Deuteronomy, it says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and his commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey it, that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. So Moses is telling them, as you keep these decrees and these commands, the way that God is teaching us to live, there will be 
you'll be fruitful, that you'll multiply, that you'll teach these to your children and your children's children, and it'll go well with you. He's trying to get them to remember, do not forget what sets you apart, what has made you different, the way God has called them, and the promise of abundance as they take this land. And then here's where it gets really good in verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today will be on your hearts. And this is where we need to really listen here. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Moses is telling them, put it everywhere. Display God, his commandments, his decrees. Talk about it with your children all the time. When you wake up and when you go to sleep, when you're on the road, when you lie down, all of this. He's telling, put God everywhere so that they see it and they're aware of it and it's working its way into them all the time. Because the world knows this and it does this daily to us through our phones and through television, through billboards, the whole thing. We are constantly inundated with the world, what it wants us to buy, what it wants us to feel, what it wants us to think. So this must be greater than that. So moms, if you've got that live, laugh, love thing, go ahead and pull it down and go put some scripture up on your walls. And I'll tell you, my mother-in-law, she knew this a long time ago. I was talking with my wife and she was telling me how her favorite scripture is Jeremiah 29, 11. And I was asking her, I was doing a sermon series for a youth thing. And I said, why is that your favorite scripture? And she said, well, it's because my mom put it on this plaque in the bathroom and I always saw it. But what's funny about it is her mom didn't take this little Hobby Lobby plaque, you know, that had Jeremiah 29, 11, put it on the wall like at eye level where normal people would put it. She put it at uh, toilet level directly across from the toilet. So that way when you sat down, you could not help but read this scripture. That you could not help but see the promise of the Lord every single time you sat down to do your business one to three times a day. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. My mother-in-law knew this, man. She said, I want my kids and anyone that's using this bathroom to hear the promise of the Lord, to see it every single time they're there. She found the perfect spot. And I know this sounds silly, but the reality is we need to be completely saturating ourselves with the word of God, especially for our children, that it's a part of our lives, that it's evident everywhere we go. Because if we do not disciple our children, the world will. And I think one of the issues a lot of us parents run into is that we feel it's our job to protect our children from the world. And so I, I'll tell you right now, I have this tendency to want to just go buy property somewhere and then take my family and hide us in our little nook of the mountains to be the, you know, little house on the prairie. And if you guys are young people in the room, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but I know you all, maybe you older crowd, you know, a little house on the prairie. To get back to a life of purity, completely like away from the world and its evil. But we're not called to do that. And every time I want to isolate my family and hide them from the darkness, I'm reminded that I'm called not just to protect my family, 
but that we are called to equip our family, to equip our children with what it takes to combat the darkness, that they would be full of the word of God, full of faithfulness, that they'd be steeped in worship because I can't protect them from the evil that is coming. It will knock on their door one way or another. And I'll do the best job I can, but I want my children to stand strong when that day comes. I can't hide from it. Now, I know what you guys might be thinking, which is we can't force Jesus down our kids' throats. We can't force them to believe in his teachings. And you'd be right, it's true. But we do control the environment that they're exposed to. And there's a lot of environments that our kids are exposed to that we don't even control and we wish we could. But we can control the environment in which our kids are understanding and learning these principles, whether that's in our home or here at church. And I think church is a great environment to put your kids in. And they need to choose Jesus on their own, but I want to just poke just for a little bit at where our priorities lie. You know, when your kid's 20, you can't force him to brush his teeth. But when they're real little, you buy that little rubber toothbrush that goes over your finger and you put your finger in the little baby's mouth and you brush their teeth. And as they get older, you know, you buy the Spider-Man toothbrush and you buy the SpongeBob toothpaste or whatever the heck gets them to brush their teeth. And you help them learn how to brush their teeth. You teach them something that's going to go good with them for the rest of their life. When they're in their 20s and they don't want to clean their college dorm room, you can't force them to do that. But I'll tell you, when they're living in your house, what do we do? We teach our kids how to clean. We teach them how to organize their room. My kid's room is spotless. It's not spotless. We do our best to teach them these tenets. And I know a lot of you parents want to teach your kids really good practical things to help grow them and nurture them and equip them for the world, right? We put them in basketball leagues and we put them in after-school classes and things that are really good that challenge them and help them gain a lot of experience. But when it comes to spiritual development, unfortunately, I think a lot of us just go, well, that's up for my kid to choose and for them to decide and figure that out. And sometimes we clock out a little bit sooner than we should. We force them to do all these things, go to the doctor, do your homework, wake up on time. We want to help them make the right decisions, but spiritually, we go, well, I, you know, I just want to leave that up to them. But I'm here to tell you, don't let go of that bicycle too soon. If you were teaching your kid how to ride a bike, which some of us in here have, you hold on to it and you help them get pedaling and feel the, the road underneath of them. You don't let go too quickly. You hold on until they have enough stability, enough strength, enough momentum to where when you let go, they can continue to ride safely. This is our job as we disciple our families is to spiritually equip our children for maybe just a little bit longer than we're willing to sometimes, even if they're not fully into it. Because I've never met a youth, a, a youth in our youth group. I was actually talking to Alec about this, who used to be the youth pastor here for a long time. Never seen a kid who came to youth group and didn't end up liking it. We have fun. We goof around. We play gross games. We do a lot of fun things for youth. We try to make sure that it meets them where they're at in their life. We're not beating them over the head with the Bible, but we're trying to show them the goodness of God, who he is, how powerful he is, that they're equipped with scripture and worship, that when they graduate college, 
they have a lot of answers figured out. They know who they are in Christ. And I'm telling you all of this not as a biased pastor who's just trying to get kids to come to church, but as a father. And even as I was writing this message, there was a lot of conviction in my own heart going, I don't know that I've done the best job spiritually equipping my children every day. There's a lot of little things that I want to start doing and putting in my life that are going to lead my children to be stronger believers in their faith. You see, we have a commandment to do this from the New Testament. We don't just have this scripture in Deuteronomy that tells us to impress this on our children, but Jesus gives us a command in Matthew 28. It's the last thing he says before he ascends to heaven. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. So if we, as adults, are called to go to the nations to bring the gospel, generation after generation, then it has to start with our own families. It has to start with our children, that our children are being discipled better than we were being discipled, that the next generation would have strength to take the gospel to further the cause of Jesus in all of the earth. And starting with your kids should be the easiest thing. They're right there. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, well, Nick, what if I don't have kids? That's okay. We're not off the hook on this command. But for the next generation of kids, I see too many, both physical and spiritual orphans, that need spiritual mothers and fathers in their lives. There are so many broken children that need you whatever season of life you are in, to be a spiritual grandmother or grandfather, to be a spiritual brother or sister. When we do youth group, when we do children's church, this is what we're asking you to be a part of, their discipleship and their growth. We're not just looking for bodies to fill in the room to make sure kids don't get hurt. We want you to partner with us in raising the next generation of disciples for Jesus. This must be stronger than that. You see, when I was a young man, I knew who the Lord was. I followed Jesus, and I got married, and I began to kind of branch out on my own. My wife and I, we moved to Nashville, and we wanted adventure. We wanted a new life. We wanted careers, and when we did that, I started to walk away from the Lord in a way that I didn't know I was doing. It wasn't intentional, and I hadn't, like, lost my faith or anything like that, but I started partying a lot. I started abusing alcohol not coming home from parties. My marriage is completely falling apart. I eventually became even unemployed and all of that. And my marriage just cracked and fell apart. And I found myself in more pain than I'd ever experienced because I'd now made big boy mistakes. Not mistakes that when you're a kid you can just kind of get over, but this is real. This is going to change the entire course of my life. And as I fell on my face... I started to reflect going, what do I do? Where do I go from here? And I remembered the roots that my parents had led down for me, laid down in my heart, when my dad would lead worship. And I knew I could turn to worship, even when I didn't know what to say. And I had this other memory of coming down as a child. I'd come down the stairs, and I would see my mom sitting at the counter early in the morning before any of us got up with her coffee in her hand, and her Bible open with this ugly grandma floral Bible case. And her journal. 
And she would journal and journal and journal every day through tough seasons, through good seasons, writing down scripture the Lord was giving her, prophetic words that she felt like we needed, just expressing her heart to God when she was in pain, when our family was in pain. And I watched my mother's faithfulness continue to turn back to God, no matter the circumstance. And so here in my brokenness, I knew I needed to turn towards faithfulness, to repentance, back to worship, back to prayer, back to the fundamentals that I knew were the right thing to do, that I had walked away from. And so in the reconciliation with my wife and me getting back into church and praying and worshiping nonstop, counseling, the whole thing, the Lord restored my marriage and now I have three awesome little kids to show for it. And now I work here at the church working with your kids. And we're not done. I'm not here to say that like, wow, everything worked out perfect and that my family does not have more trials to, to come or that I'm a perfect father because I definitely am not. But what I do know is I have a responsibility and you have a responsibility for the next generation that we would raise it up to be stronger than maybe the situations that we encountered. And I know it's really easy because a lot of times we look at the next generation coming and we judge it. It's easy. I've done it myself. They're so weak. They have no resilience. They're entitled, yada, yada, yada. And it's easy to point out the flaws, but I would wonder what sense of responsibility do we take when we look at that generation and see it not living up to what it should be? Because if they got that way, it's probably because there was a generation before it that didn't do such a great job. And I don't want to be that generation. I want to be a generation that is proud of the next generation, that knows that we did everything we could to disciple it in the ways of Jesus Christ, that lead to life, that lead to goodness, that lead to generosity, that lead to mercy, that lead to justice. But it starts with each and every one of us. And maybe you're like, well, I don't work well with kids. Well, there's an entire generation of young adults that I talk to all the time that are looking for mentors to come into their life and walk with them to help them not make the same mistakes they made as a young adult. And so I just want to encourage you to begin to pray in your life what amount of time and margin you have to pour into the next generation, to be a mentor to a young adult, to be a youth leader, to be a children's volunteer. And if it's not here, if it's in your own family, where can you serve and step up so this next generation is stronger than the evils that are to come? It starts when we talk about Jesus on our drives home. It starts when we are sitting around the dinner table. One of the things I like to do is I put on a Bluetooth speaker and I put on worship music on the weekends when I'm cooking breakfast for my kids and I crank that worship music because I just love hearing them hum the little hooks from all these worship songs throughout the day. That worship is stuck in their head and they're singing it and they're just having fun but they don't know they're worshiping God while they're playing, while they're doing different things. And I know that I am putting the gospel everywhere. And maybe I should put it in front of my toilet. Maybe I should. 
But the Lord is calling us to display his glory everywhere so the next generation knows about it. We cannot forget about this. We can't be passive because the world is active. It's moving fast. And this must be stronger than that. Would you pray with me as we get ready to close? Lord, we thank you for the multi-generational power that exists in this house. We thank you for wisdom and we thank you for youth and energy, Lord. But I just pray, Father, that you would convict our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would lead us to empower this next generation to be stronger than the last. Lord, that we would grow in our faith. Lord God, that we would grow closer together and appreciate what makes our generations unique and different. Lord God, that we would be bold, that we would be honoring, that we would be loving towards one another, Lord. And that we would display your truth, your commandments, your decrees all over our lives. We thank you and we bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.